There's a, a place uh, just west of the, the Dead Sea called En Gedi. It's an oasis. Um, it, uh, it means, En Gedi means spring of the goat. It gets its name from uh, the goats, the wild goats that live in that area, but also the, the fresh springs, which is pretty extraordinary that you would have fresh water to be found in that part of, of Israel, uh, there next to near nearby the Dead Sea. Uh, I was there a couple weeks ago. Um, took that picture, actually. Um, and, uh, you know, Engedi is a neat place to visit. You've got hiking trails. Uh, you've got a pretty nice visitor center. Uh, great signage. In fact, if you look closely in that shot, I don't know if you can see it anyway, but it's actually a handrail uh, at one spot. So it's, it's a comfortable place in Getty today. Not so much for David when he was there uh, many years ago running for his life. King Saul wanting to take him out. Uh, if you've got a, a Bible with you, um, we're looking at two texts this morning. I want to start with 1 Samuel 24 and just give you some background to the passage, the psalm that I want to look at uh, really in depth. But 1 Samuel 24, and if you're, you're trying to find that, uh, there it's in the, the Old Testament. It's one of the historical books. You have 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. It's a bunch of 1 and 2nds, and if you, you're there kind of in that first 25% or so of your Old Testament, uh, you're, you're probably already there. So, First uh, Samuel, First Samuel chapter 24. I want to read just the first 15 verses of this to give you this setting uh, of Engedi, David's experience there. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, "Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi." And Saul took three thousand chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. And David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know, and that there is no wrong and tr or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. 
As the proverb of the ancients say, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? And after whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Now understand what's going on here. This is David's golden opportunity. That's one perspective. This is his chance to take Saul out. It would be understandable if he did it. Some would say even justified if he did it. He has got his, the, literally the backing of his men. His men are like, yes! If not you, then let me take him out now. Let's be done with this. That's David's opportunity, but David refuses to take that opportunity. He recognizes it for what it, what it is. David's response is rather one of mercy to King Saul. One of humility before the Lord. An extraordinary, because of all this, an extra, serving as an extraordinary example to his men. His response, when you really think about what's going on here, what David could have done and what he instead chooses to do, his response is astonishing. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's extraordinary. And it begs the question, why? How? What's going on in this man's heart? that would enable him, that would impel him to respond in such a radical way. Okay, that's where the next passage, where really I want to look at together, where I want to hone in for the next just few minutes. Psalm 57. Psalm 57. Um, it's the heart of the Bible, the Psalms, the heart of the Scriptures. The Psalms, Psalm 57. Now normally we'd, I don't read these little introductions right there in the beginning of the Psalms, but in this case I'm going to make an exception because it's telling. It tells us where this fits in David's experience, and I think you'll find it remarkable. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, which is likely a tune of some kind, a victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Okay, with that, hear now these words. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by, I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame Him who tramples on me. God will send out His steadfast love and His faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's pray for a moment. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So says the prophet. And so we need to hear 
Oh Lord, we ask that you would give us ears with which to hear this morning. Your word, thank you for the historical narrative as we find there in 1 Samuel 24 and a reflection on those events here in Psalm 57. Help us here, O oh God. Amen. Let me, uh, if, I, if I may, kind of give you a, 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 what I think is a telling observation in looking at these two passages in, in tandem together. On the one hand, you have the books of Samuel that tell us the story of David and what was going on, if you will, from the outside. Then you come over to the Psalms, and in particular this one, and we get the same story, but from the inside. And you take both together, when you have situations like this, the historical narratives of a psalm, and you pair them together, and it gives us a rich and full and deep perspective of what's going on here in the life of David. Not just what's going on, but how it's going on and why it's going on. You might ask this question, where is David? Where is David? And, and one way you could answer that, well, he's, he's on the run. He's hiding in a cave, and that's true, but that's only partly true. He's also looking to the Lord, hiding in his care. What David is showing us here, and I think more importantly what the Lord is showing us through his servant David, here in incidents like this and coupled with Psalm 57, is that when we find ourselves, if I can put it this way, metaphorically, in the wilderness and on the run, and by that I you know, fill in the blank, under duress, under strain, maybe with a bullseye on your back, when we find ourselves in the wilderness and on the run, we must look to the Lord. We must look to the Lord. And that's what transforms the response. That is what enables and compels and impels us to think and feel and say and do in ways completely contrary to our natural, excuse me, natural inclinations and impulses. Looking to the Lord. Looking to Him in the, while we're in the wilderness, while we're on the run. Look to the Lord. By, and what, would, what I mean by that, and I think we get some insight here in this psalm, these two things, longing for His mercy and longing for His glory. Looking to the Lord means at least this much. Longing for His mercy in the wilderness, on the run, and looking for His glory in the wilderness and on the run. Again, Samuel, the books of Samuel, give us the, an, an, a, uh, a perspective of seeing this is what's going on on the outside, this is what's observable. The Psalms tell us what's going on in the inside. Samuel's telling us uh, what's going on. The Psalms are telling us how and why. So how, here's the question, how could such an extraordinary response come forth through a man like David, and for our purposes here just for the next few minutes, through people like us. How could that happen? Let's take a look at it. First, the longing for his mercy. His mercy defined as, just I'll say loosely, his help to the helpless and hopeless. His help, his aid, his assistance, his rescue to the helpless and the hopeless. And that's really the theme in many ways of the psalm. You see it there in verse 3 in the appeal. I 
Uh, he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples me. Now get this. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. You see something of that again in verse 10. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. It's a longing for, the, for God's mercy that David is, is counting on, appealing to, looking to. He's facing the crisis. And by that what I mean is this. He's not playing it down. He's not approaching this, this, these circumstances, this crisis, with a stiff upper lip or um, putting on a good face. But he's looking at it squarely, not playing it down. If anything, David could be accused of playing it up. Not really, but, you know, maybe. Yeah, honestly reckoning with what's going on. Look at, look at the imagery that he uses here. In verse 1, he speaks of a storm from which he needs refuge. In verse 3, he speaks of those who would trample him. In verse 4, he speaks of, a, of, of lions who would devour. In, and also in that verse, he speaks of beasts that would consume. Later on, verse 6, he speaks of a, of a net that would ensnare or a pit that would entrap. David is facing the crisis. Not, not pretending it's otherwise, but looking at it squarely in the eye and also coupled with that, crying for help. Crying for help, looking at the, he knows the depth of his, his, his need. Verse 4, he speaks of his soul, his, the innermost part of his being in the midst of the lions and, and, and in danger of being consumed by the fiery Beasts. Or you can say, put it, go back a few verses. Verse 1, he speaks of his soul again. His soul finding refuge. Refuge in the midst of this storm. And in whom? Well, let's read verses 1 and 2. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I Cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. God Most High, to the Almighty One, the All-Powerful One. That is to whom He is looking. To God who, He says, fulfills His purpose. There's a God who's powerful with intention and purpose, and keep going, purpose for me. With a personal purpose. And if you really you want to take a big macro lens to who this is with David and the promise made to David to bring a Savior, the Messiah, through this line, it's even larger than just for David. His purpose for his people, for the, his person in this case, is not going to be frustrated. And David knows that. And so in the, in the wilderness, on the run, he's crying out, looking to the Lord, longing for his mercy now you say, I say, churchy people say, well, of course. But not tomorrow morning we don't. On Sunday morning we do, not Monday morning. Monday morning, when it looks like the person whose hand ostensibly is on the wheel is taking us to places we don't want to go, we reach from the back seat and want to grab that wheel. David is speaking against our natural inclinations and impulses to panic at what the Lord is doing in our lives. There is the Almighty One, the God Most High, the One who fulfills His purpose for us. David knowing that and then looking to the Lord as His refuge. 
His shelter, His stronghold, His fortress, His tower. That's what enables him to cut the corner of Saul's robe and not his throat. Because he's looking to the Lord, the God of mercy, facing the hurt, as ugly and painful and awful as it may be for you, for me, what's been done, what hasn't been done, what should have been done, how you feel facing the hurt, turning to Him and trusting Him, the God of mercy. That's a precondition for responding in this transformative, radical, astounding way, as we see here in the caves of Engedi. But there's a second thing, and it's equally important, if not more so, not just longing for the Lord's mercy, but longing for His glory. We see this in this refrain of the psalm. And went, by the way, just you know, a little pointer. When you're reading these psalms and trying to understand what are the themes and what are the, you know, the major themes, find repetition, the emphasis, if you will, right? You know, what, what is, what, what's being repeated? They're trying to drumbeat it into our hearts and minds. Well, you see it here twice, verse 5 and verse 11. Identical phrasing. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David is looking past his immediate concerns. It's not that he's ignoring his needs. I mean, we know that already. He's appealing to the Lord, crying to the God of mercy. But he's getting his needs. He's ordering them aright. Something like our Lord does, as we see in the recorded in the Gospels with the Lord's Prayer, right? We are commanded to pray for our daily bread. But only after... We have prayed for a hallowing of His name. In fact, I would make the case that we are not ready to, to pray for the daily bread until we have those things prioritized and in order, praying for the hallowing, the honoring, the glory, the praise of His name. So David is looking past the horizon, past his immediate concerns, to the greater priority, not just for God's mercy, but for God's glory. Oh, that the world may know this love and faithfulness that He is so deeply moved by. That the world would know. That the world would be drawn into this song that He is singing in the awakening of the harp and the lyre. And the nations would know and join in this chorus and join in the song of thanksgiving and gratitude and awe and humility and wonder. Oh, that the world would know and that God would get His due. God, my king, this is David, the king to be, longing for the, the honor of his capital K king. The Lord himself, that the tables would be turned, that the tide would turn, that evil would be dispelled, that the darkness would be dispersed, that, the, that, 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 that all the wrongs would be made right, and the world would know and give praise and honor to God as king, as king in the wilderness on the run, looking to the Lord. Yes, longing for His mercy, but longing even more for His glory, for His honor and His praise. And I think this even more cuts against the grain of our impulses and our inclinations. I mean, honestly, honestly, is our first impulse God's glory. <laughs> 